This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to join us on our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a lot of going on, a lot of goings on, I should say, in Washington today, and we're going to get to a lot of what's happening there. Uh, but I want to quickly talk about this one um, poll. Three quarters of Americans think the nation is becoming a police state. And I think that's interesting. Uh, almost three quarters of Americans, 72%, admit to being concerned that the United States is becoming a police state, engaging in mass surveillance, censorship, ideological indoctrination, and the targeting of political opponents, according to a recent survey from Rasmussen Reports. Uh, and this is in the National Pulse, by the way. Of those concerned, 46% told pollsters that they were very concerned that the state is becoming tyrannical, with 26% of them answering somewhat concerned. Only 23% of Americans said they were not concerned, and with less than 1 in 10 Americans answering not concerned at all. Rasmussen also asked 998 likely American voters whether they agreed with the statement the FBI is a danger to the freedom and security of law-abiding Americans. Half of the respondents agreed with the statement. The majority answering strongly agree. Republicans overwhelmingly agreed with 45% answering strongly agree. Another 23% answered somewhat agree. That's eye-opening. A total of 45% disagreed with the statement with 26% strongly disagreeing. Democrats felt more strongly that the FBI assists freedom and security as 36% of them strongly agreed. And uh, further, 22% somewhat disagreed. Lastly, Rasmussen asked whether those surveyed, which um, asked them which political party is a bigger threat to basic liberties in America, Democrats or Republicans. Unsurprisingly, the vast majority of both parties, 76% of Republicans and 65% of Democrats, told pollsters that the opposition party was the greater threat. However, more Democrats believe their party is a bigger threat at 26% then Republicans at only 20%. So this just reiterates what I think most of us know. The partisans on each side of the aisle think the, the government sucks, think the FBI is a threat, and think the opposition party sucks. And I think we knew that, but it hasn't changed. And that's why it's good to kind of uh, check the, 
the pulse of what's going on with the people, right? I think it's kind of crazy. Now, in other news on Capitol Hill, let's see what happened here. Uh, Speaker McCarthy, Speaker of the House, denied uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky's wish to address Congress. And we got a little audio on that. Listen to this. Zelensky asked for a joint session. We just didn't have time. He's already given a joint session. So what we're doing for, um, for Zelensky is exactly the same thing we did for the prime minister of the UK, the prime minister of Italy. We're putting the bipartisan uh, group of members together to meet with him. No different than we did with anybody else. And this is a little busy week. We're dealing with the funding issue. I don't know how we could slip that in in such a short time. So what are you going to say to him? What are you going to say to Zelensky? Well, I think... I think the best part is to sit down and walk through the question. What is the plan for victory? Where are we currently on the field? The accountability issues that a lot of members have questions. Just walk through that. So that's McCarthy um, handling questions from the media. And again, uh, he does a pretty good job of that. He says, well, you know, what are you going to ask him? What are you going to say to him? He says, I'm going to ask him how we're going to win in Ukraine. Uh, Outstanding response, in my opinion. Uh, That's exactly what we should be asking both Zelensky and Joe L. Baboso Biden. But... Uh, He did decline that request for a uh, joint address to Congress. And the New York Times first reported the denial on Wednesday. And uh, today Zelensky was in D.C. as part of his, you know, schmoozola. He was schmoozing everybody. I saw him with uh, Secretary Lloyd Austin earlier this morning um, on some breaking news all over the place. Another thing that was breaking news, and I'll get back into this McCarthy stuff in a moment, but quick ADHD moment for me. I want to know, and this is a genuine thing, if you want to call or, or tweet at me or, or whatever, Facebook it, whatever you want to do. But I'm really interested in knowing, why was the headline on the Drudge Report and on so many outlets today that Rupert Murdoch was stepping down from Fox News? Now, I understand it's, it's news, sure, like, you know, when Jeff Zucker stepped down. Uh, but again, Jeff Zucker was kind of embattled. There was a lot going on there. With CNN, there was a lot of controversy. There were people getting fired. Um, I think Fox News is a little bit less controversial, just a little bit. Um, But I I just don't see why it was so prominent in the news today. This is definitely my naivete. This is definitely me being ignorant of maybe something that's very important. But I can't imagine how a 92-year-old chairman of the board of of a massive media empire stepping down and putting his son in when it's kind of been that way anyway. His sons have been running the show for quite a while. Uh, why this was such huge, major news. It just, I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Maybe somebody could school me on that. Anyway, back to McCarthy. So McCarthy met with Zelensky privately uh, along with House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and other committee chairs and ranking members. Zelensky met with uh, senators after that. And McCarthy's denial was, um, he said, because of constraints of time, it's a busy week. And they have a September 30th deadline to pass spending bills in order to prevent the government shutdown. The U.S. has sent more than $100 billion to Ukraine in military, financial, and humanitarian aid, excuse me, since Russia invaded them back in February of 2022. But Republican lawmakers are pushing back and sending uh, on pushing back on sending any more. And I think that's appropriate. Why should we continue to say $100 billion is a lot of money? I think we broke our own record for supporting anybody in any war. Uh, so, yeah, I'd like to know, all right, what's going on? We, you know, we're here to help Ukraine, and we should help Ukraine. But does it mean we have to incessantly send them money? I don't know if that's the case. 
So uh, McCarthy uh, goes on, actually Byron Donalds goes on to say, there's no money in the House right now for Ukraine. It's not there. Uh, he's a Republican from Florida, in case you didn't know. And this is uh, according to Newsmax. And he's saying it's not a good time for Zelensky to be here, quite frankly. In an exclusive interview at Newsmax on Wednesday, Zelensky said the cost of Russia prevailing in Ukraine is greater than American dollars. Of course, it's always easier to spend other people's money, right? I mean, if you're putting your hand in somebody else's pocket, shoot, I'm picking up the tab, right? Drinks are on me. That's always how that works. Uh, Zelensky saying, quote, this is going to be very expensive because losing people, that's the highest price that any country can pay. And that's important to realize because Ukraine is standing and is holding its ground. And he thinks it's far cheaper to use words like that. And it's more difficult to say because people are not money. And that's President Volodymyr Zelensky. Now, McCarthy got it right when he said there's pressing matters and getting these spending bills passed. And there's a bunch of Republicans in Congress, at least five of them, that changed their vote after the uh, test vote that, that happened earlier in the week. And the New York Times blasted them as rebels, Republican rebels stalling Congress. And I think, you know, maybe these are just responsible Republicans that are holding the line to get to the bottom of things, to make sure that we're spending money the right way, doing the people's business. Well, anyway, one of those rebels, uh, Representative Matt Rosendale, he's going to be joining us straight ahead to talk about that and a little bit of Hunter and a little bit of impeachment inquiry and uh, everything else that's going on on Capitol Hill. So uh, stick with me for that one. Again, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. We need the extreme MAGA Republicans to get their act together in the civil war that's happening on the Republican side of the aisle that's paralyzing Congress. That is Hakeem Jeffries, the minority leader in the House of Representatives. And he says that uh, Republicans need to get their act together. Uh, I say, listen, shut the whole thing down until we get this thing figured out, because it's about time we, we address the problems at hand. So there were five courageous Republicans that said, you know what, we're not signing on to this. And they were labeled by the New York Times as rebels, rebel Republicans. And there's a bunch of articles about them saying that they are uh, um, dealing a blow to McCarthy and providing no solution for government. Uh, but I would say as long as we're not spending, these guys are doing the right thing, right? At least in my opinion. Well, anyway, one of them is Representative Matt Rosendale. He's a congressman for Montana's 2nd District, and he's with us now. Congressman, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Rich. I'm excited you to be on here with you tonight. Likewise, thank you for staying up late with us. Uh, I think Americans want to know what's going on. I think you, you guys are doing the people's business. Uh, but what I'm trying to figure out is why is it only you and a handful of other guys that are, are stepping up saying, nope, no deal, and why are you doing it? 
Well, I think there's a combination of, of fear. Uh, most people just want to go along with the status quo. Uh, they don't like to have any change whatsoever. Uh, and then other folks, they just they they actually believe in all this big spending. They believe in all this big government spending. And I, I try to reduce things down to their simplest form, Rich. Right now, we're yeah. going to collect about five trillion dollars, okay, in revenue for the for the year. The federal government will. They are proposing to spend about seven trillion dollars. That's a two trillion dollar uh, a bay there that you have to to meet, and of course that's going to get put on as a loan on top of the thirty three trillion dollars that the federal government already has as national debt. It's going to be one more trillion because guess what? We don't get to use the whole five trillion dollars to pay bills. One trillion of it needs to be used to pay interest on the loan, the $33 trillion that we have already borrowed. So we're going to add $3 trillion to the national debt this year alone if we proceed with the budget that that everybody is talking about. Uh, these folks were talking also about passing what they call a continuing resolution because the 12 separate appropriation bills that are necessary to pass in order to fund all of the government, okay, hadn't been done because Kevin McCarthy did not direct uh, the appropriation committees to get their work done. He didn't make it a priority. So they were planning to pass a continuing resolution, which by definition continues Nancy Pelosi's spending and Joe Biden's policies that I spent the last two years voting against. So we were able to get them to pull that off of the agenda. So that was not you know, brought up. They saw that we had about two dozen people that were going to vote against that. And then what we did is in order for them to start bringing the appropriation bills up at a reduced level, we ended up what they call killing a rule. We, we killed a rule on one of the bills and it sort of stopped things up for a while Got everybody's attention, but I'm I'm happy to report that this afternoon we had right. yet another meeting with a bunch of us, and we sort of laid out a a uh, roadmap on how we're going to be able to start bringing the 12 appropriation bills up over the next several days, so that we can uh, fund government in a responsible and in a transparent way. And then that's the way that they haven't done it for at least a half a dozen years. Well, this is good news. Uh, and, and I'm wondering, what, what, is, um, what are you guys holding out for? What's the main thing that you want? Do you, you want to just cut out entire chunks of spending, which would be fantastic? I just think, like you said, you're probably outnumbered in that. Uh, but bringing attention to the matter is always good. What, what's exactly the, um, the strategy here? Two things. Two things we're trying to accomplish. Number one, yes, we must reduce spending. And so we are holding out to make sure that we can get those spending levels reduced down. We're not going to get a balanced budget this year. I don't want to try to, to mislead anyone, but we're going to reduce the spending as much as we can and, and still keep the votes together. That's number one. Number two, we're, we're finally, after years, restoring regular order to Congress, Rich. And that is 
that is critically important. That that is what the battle was about back in January when we were in the process of electing a new speaker. We used right. to always go 15 rounds. A lot of that was about restoring regular order, getting the rules in place so that we have single-subject legislation, so that we have a true 72 hours to consider legislation, that we have what's called an open rule process, that you bring bills to the floor, you debate them, you amend them, you either pass or you know fail them uh, on the floor in an open process. And so we want to reduce spending, that's true, but we also want to make sure that we utilize the appropriation bills because the last six at least years they haven't done that. They've they've utilized a, a continuing resolution, and then at the end of the year you hear about the big omnibus. So they mm-hmm, take everything, the they push it together in one huge four thousand page bill with a bunch of pork filled earmarks for special projects for people around the you know country that you know did exactly what leadership asked them to, and and that's what they were doing. And so we said no. We're going back to running government the way it is supposed to be run, and that's with the 12 proper appropriation bills. Well, that's fantastic. To me, that's fantastic news. I think anytime you can cut out some pork barrel spending and um, pushing uh, ideas that go towards, like you mentioned, uh, single subject legislation, uh, it, it makes it clear for the American people. And I know, you know, you're a full time legislator. You're in the swamp every day doing this. This is what you do. And I'm talking about it every day. But most people listening to this program, they work. Right. And while we're working, they work in other things and they've got to worry about feeding their families and picking up kids and going to daycare or staying home with their kids or whatever the case is. And you hear the news and it's so difficult to keep up with. Why can't Congress get its act together? And and that's why, because there's way too many ways to spend money and there's way too many people that want to spend money and they're on both sides of the aisle. And I think people get caught up or accustomed with the tradition of spending money. And uh, lamentably, yeah. that, that doesn't work for the American people, Congressman. No, no, it doesn't. And, you know, it's very, very easy to spend money when it's somebody else's, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's what they do. They don't think twice about it. And there's too few people up here that are actually business people, okay? I mean, I had uh, – it kills me when I hear people say, you know, you better be careful doing that. You're going to end your political career I'm insulted. I said, let me tell you something. I had a highly successful career before I got into politics. God blessed me, and I was successful. And then I came out to do public service. I'm performing public service now, and and so I'm just trying to do what is right. But there are not a lot of folks up here that have been out in the real world to understand what it's like to have to figure out the grocery bill, the gasoline bill, the prescription drug bill, you know, and then maybe a daycare bill, too, and, and make sure that it all meets. These folks up here, uh, when they run out of money, they just go ahead and fire up the printing press and, <laughs> and they pile Sadly. the loan onto the American people's back. And that's that's what I'm saying. We, we cannot continue to do this. Look. 20%. Well, Congressman, hang on right there. We're going to take a quick pause and come right back. Folks, we're on with Congressman Matt Rosendale from uh, Montana's 2nd District, and we're going to come back. We're discussing the spending bill, why they were holdouts, and we're going to talk a little bit of uh, the inquiry and a lot more. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, with Congressman Matt Rosendale. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it 
a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Today, we're bringing back up the uh, defense authorization, getting that work done before. We'll continue to work through. We have more than 170 amendments, something you haven't seen in Washington in a long time. All right. As we've been discussing, there's been uh, some holdouts on the spending bill. And of course, we have the September 30th deadline for Congress to pass a continuing resolution because it's impossible to balance a budget. We don't even do that anymore. And uh, we have Congressman Matt Rosendale from Montana, 2nd District. He's on with us. Congressman, tell us, um, give us a preview. Do you think we we make it uh, do we have the shutdown? Do we not? I'm all for it. What say you? We're getting close, okay? As I said, um, we sat down this afternoon, and we were able to get a very diverse and large group of us to to agree to a plan where we can start bringing these bills forward, the appropriation bills, 20% of the revenue, the annual revenue, okay, right. out of that $5 trillion is going to be used to pay the interest on the loan. And and based upon piling an additional $2.5, 3000000000000 trillion a year on the national debt rich, within five years, 50% of the annual revenue will be consumed by paying the interest on the loan that, that we have as the national debt. And, and how in the world – okay, people are complaining about difficult decisions now about how you're going to balance the budget, how you're going to you know, make ends meet. How in the world, if, if at 20 percent of the revenue going to the interest, you're having problems, when 50 percent of it is going to pay interest, how are you going to pay Social Security, Medicare, military to defend our nation with, with only 50 percent of the revenue? So right. we, we sat down today. I was really – we had a huge breakthrough. I'll be honest with you. We had a huge breakthrough. It took a couple of rounds of, of defeating some of these bills to let them know we were serious. We were not going to, to go into a CR, and, and we're not going to uh, fall for that, for that trick, that gimmick. And mm-hmm. so now we're going to start bringing bills forward uh, they're doing a, what they call the rule this evening, which will describe how we're going to manage the next four appropriation bills. You're going to start seeing some some cuts 
in some, the spending. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be on Monday or Tuesday. We will begin debating those and amending those in an open rule process the way that Congress is supposed to function on mm-hmm. the House floor, either Monday or Tuesday. And, and hopefully uh, we get those four knocked out over Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we'll bring up the uh, – either the uh, balance of the four or five of the bills and, and get those addressed as well. Will that happen before the September 30 deadline? Probably not, but you know, we'll, if we had started this four months ago, Rich, guess what? We'd be mm-hmm. done now, but everybody put their energy, not everybody, but leadership directed the energy into trying to pass a continuing resolution as the bandaid, as the, you know, the fail safe when we continue to tell them we're not supporting a continuing resolution. It is a new day. We're not kicking the can down the road where you're going to have to develop the appropriation bills and fund government the way that it was meant to be. Amen to that, Congressman Matt Rosendale. And let me ask you, if the government shuts down, does that mean that we uh, can no longer send Ukraine any money? Because President Zelensky. Oh, boy. He was in Washington oh, today, boy. seemingly hat in hand. And look, I support Ukraine winning this war and ending this conflict. But he said some things today like, um, you know, we're talking about lives. And if it's about just a matter of money and I'm thinking you're, you're talking about my money, sir. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's so easy for him to spend lives. my money. Let me tell you about lives and let me tell you about money. We could have secured our southern border with eight billion dollars and that would have saved 200,000 lives in the United States states of America right now Mm. because we have fentanyl streaming across our border. Components come from China. It gets processed in Mexico. It's coming in and it's it's killing children and and young adults across our entire nation. A couple of hundred thousand, okay? And and Ukraine has already received over one hundred billion dollars. The only thing that they can keep track of of where it went were the, the money that was actually sent in the form of weapons. The, the, the cash, okay, the liquid assets, we haven't even had a good accounting of that. And then when we're sitting here trying to get our own budget balanced out, he rolls in again with his green shirt on and, and his <laughs> trousers and couldn't even show up to the, to the capital of the United States with a suit on. I... I I do not appreciate that whatsoever. Hey, look, well, neither does your Ukraine colleague, uh, John Fetterman. The Ukraine people are suffering, and they're suffering unjustly because Russia invaded that country unprovoked. And I have supported sanctions against Russia, but we had better get our border secure before we send any money to Ukraine. Yeah, I agree with that. We've got to pay our bills uh, before we pay anybody else's bills. And Congressman Matt Rosendale, final thought to you. Um, what's the um, what do you expect to happen this week with the uh, first hearing into the impeachment of uh, the inquiry uh, on President Joe Biden? What I would like to see, OK, come out of that. And our Judiciary Committee is a really, really solid committee. I mean, we've got folks on there like like Andy Biggs and Matt Gates and Ken Buck and Jordan's, you know, chairing the thing. They are they. They are not only extremely bright individuals, but they know how to form a line of questioning. And what I want to hear come out of that is is about the money that has been received by the Biden crime family from China, from Russia, 
from Kazakhstan, from Ukraine. And, 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 and we need to be able to trace those funds back to the president and his family and demonstrate just, just how deep this corruption goes, because it's going to have to be laid out in black and white, clear um, information, uh, in, irrefutable facts in order to force this this terrible DOJ that we have right now to to charge and prosecute and or to transfer this information forward to the Senate, allow the House to try to impeach and then uh, transfer the information to the Senate to see what what action they will take if they're going to remove him or not, remove the president or not. I don't know about you, but I don't have much faith in McConnell. Folks, we're on with uh, Congressman Matt Rosendale from Montana's 2nd District. Uh, Congressman, you're welcome here anytime. I really appreciate you staying up late with us and uh, giving us this time. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and we appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. Thank your audience. That's what makes America. Everybody has to participate. Amen to that. Folks, straight ahead, your calls and more, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And we're going to get into a little bit of discussion on the border. Uh, that is still a problem. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, immigration continues to be an issue. And it it seems like, um, you know, we're not making a lot of progress for the American people, but we're making a lot of progress for the people that want to come into the country. And, you know, I say that laughingly, but it's no laughing matter. It's, it's kind of the incredulity of it all, though, where I'm just like, I, I can't believe this is actually happening. Uh, you know, there were people, uh, Donald Trump, others, m- many people for a long time, people have been warning against this. And, you know, um, nobody listened <laughs> or they didn't care. And, and I think that's the scary part. And I know I'm preaching to the choir and we talk about this a lot. But uh, today, Hakeem Jeffries, House Minority Leader, was at a press conference, and he says, listen, Biden's doing everything that he can at the border. Really? Listen to this. I think the Biden administration is doing all that it can uh, in that they inherited a broken system that needs to be fixed moving forward in a bipartisan way through comprehensive immigration reform and leaning in to strengthening the border in a manner consistent with our values, both as a nation of immigrants and as a nation anchored in the rule of law. Well, you know, I'll say to you, Leader uh, Jeffries, that if I inherited a house, to make a very simple analogy, if I inherit a house and the house is in disrepair and there's a lot of deferred maintenance on it and it needs to be fixed and I inherit a broken system, it needs plumbing, it needs electric, it needs everything, maybe not a complete gut of the place, but uh, it needs a lot. And again, if you need to completely gut it, you do that too. What do you do? You could you could sell it. You could do a lot of things. You could take a home equity line of credit. You can do the investment yourself. But the point is you have to do it. Now, when you have 
I don't know, $5 trillion in revenue coming in, as uh, Congressman Rosendale just pointed out, and you could fix this problem at the border for $8 billion, why wouldn't you do that? Why would you just turn a blind eye and not hire more people, use the military, do whatever you got to do? I mean, these are all options that the president has at his disposal, not, not the least of which is negotiating. I mean, that was, I think, the number one thing that Trump did. Trump said, we're going to build a wall. Mexico's going to pay for it. We're going to build a wall. Right. He said a lot of things, but he did a lot of things. There were portions of the border wall that were built, and I think they were effective in so much as you look at the numbers then versus now. But there was more that he did. Right. He he made negotiations with Mexico and he said, look, we're going to create this uh, the uh, remain in Mexico policy. I think they call it the Migrant Protection Program, the MPP. I think that was what it was called. And that was effective as well. There were there was lots of things that can be done, and there are lots of things that can be done. Matter of fact, the easiest thing to do is just look at the policies that Trump had in place. Of course, Jeffries couches his uh, statement saying, what we need is a bipartisan way through comprehensive immigration reform and leading, leaning in and strengthening the border in a manner consistent with our values. Who's our? The Democrat caucus? Their values aren't my values. I think they have to be consistent with the values of the rule of law in the United States. That they are not, sir. So on his comments on their face, they're false. I mean, at least they're not, they're not consistent with the truth, right? That, that we could say. And again, pointing out the hypocrisy here with Democrats is, you know, it's it's child's play. We could do it all day. The problem is it needs to get done. And the answer, I don't know how we do it, but for electing a president that's going to be a hardliner on national security, stopping fentanyl, stopping the flow of, of men from all over the place, right? Because it's, it's no longer, you know, give me your tired, your poor. This is, you know, the transfer of people from all over the place. I can't help but think my, on my days when I used to go get coffee at the Cuban place before they sold it. And I'd uh, speak with the guy who came here, uh, the, the proprietor there. He came to the United States on an inner tube attached to a jet ski until somebody fell off. And then he was able to get in to get a seat on the jet ski from Havana, Cuba, in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. in the morning or something like that, straight uh, till the next day. Uh, I think it took him five hours to get to... Um, Key West, Florida. That's how he got to this country. Came here, opened the business, did lots of things. And again, I have to have a, a admiration for a guy like that because even he's the first one to say, look, he's like, I don't know about all this stuff at the, at the border. And he's like, you know, and I hate Trump. He hates Trump. He says, but I'll tell you this. We can't have more of this in this country. He said, the reason this country is good is because it, it, it's, it's a place where people can make it. It's a place where people have to prove their worth. You have to earn your way. And he said, what's happening now? He's like, when, you know, when I visit Miami, the people that are coming in from Cuba, they're, they're, they're the worst of the worst in Cuba. He said, my friends that are Venezuelan are telling me that the people coming from Venezuela are the worst of the worst from Venezuela. Now, this is an immigrant who's now an American citizen, but an immigrant who's telling me these things. And he sounds a lot like Trump, right? And just saying, you know, they're bad hombres, they're race, rapists, they're murderers. Uh, so uh, all I could say is people are coming full circle with comments that were just once vilified. And again, this is not so much a defense of Trump as it is uh, an awakening of the American people 
I feel like the American people are really starting to open their eyes and, and see what's going on, not the least of which is Eric Adams. But Kathy Hochul, she continues. She continues to buckle down, although she's starting to ease up, saying maybe the illegal alien should go somewhere else. We'll talk about that straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back, and uh, let's go to the phones. We've got Kim in Kalispell, Montana, K-O-F-I. Kim, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thank you. I've got a question. We're sending billions out of the country to the Ukraine, God knows where else. Can we not, this rhetorical question, I know, can we not spend that money on our infrastructure here in the country, our country? Isn't that a brilliant question? And, you know, the, the technical answer, of course, is, you know, is that some of this stuff is already budgeted and earmarked for foreign aid and whatever and whatnot. And you can't always move it around. Matter of fact, Trump tried to move some money around once and that was des- designated for the military and he used it to build a border wall. And they sued him and they tried to stop him. He ultimately won because uh, the executive branch could do that. But th- the answer is yes. And we do that in the appropriations process and we just have to get it right. And it's kind of what we were talking about with um uh, the um, congressman from Montana, um, because um, Matt Rosendale, the 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 issue is we have so many problems right now domestically. There have been times where immigration, you know, is always going to be a problem, but it was under control. And now it's not under control. It's out of control. So what are we to do? Give more money to Ukraine. And what are we going to do when we're trying to avoid a government shutdown and, and pass a continuing resolution so that we can pay our own bills in this country? Let's Host Volodymyr Zelensky and, and have him asking for more money. Uh, I think it's it's such a poor timing. The president is just not thinking. Uh, I'm sure there's some Americans that think it's great. Thank God that Zelensky's here. No, I, I, look, I don't care. I want to see him win. I want to see the Ukrainians be well. I want to see Russia go home and, and do their thing in their own country and not try to take Ukraine as part of their territory. But at the end of the day, we don't need Zelensky here making those problems. You're right. We need to invest in our nation. We have to make sure that we have a secure border. We have to make sure that we're not spending so much that we don't have this um, endless inflation. It seems like inflation is just a, a new part of life and it's going to take forever to fix. You know, I, I don't even know what to do anymore. I, I want to take all these trips and vacations. And it's like, you know what, the more I spend on everything, the less I'm going to be able to travel. And, it, and, and that's, that's not only me. I'm sure there's a bunch of people listening right now that agree with me. So I think you're right, Kim. I appreciate your call. Big shout out to everybody in Montana on KOFI. And Kathy Hochul, I uh, won't have time to play this audio now. We'll play it at the top of the, uh, the next hour uh, or the, the second hour, the third hour rather. But uh, maybe we'll get to it towards after the bottom of the, um, of the next hour. But she says, we can't house everybody in the world. Well, 
Welcome to the party, Kathy Hochul. Next, she'll say she's a, a MAGA Republican, a radical. <laughs> we'll find out more about that straight ahead. We're also going to continue our discussions with our wonderful guests that are coming up. So stick with us, folks. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to join us, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, there's a couple of stories I'm looking at, uh, one of which is the rapper Post Malone has signed the guitar and donated the proceeds of it once it's auctioned off to uh, to veterans. And it's always good when people get involved to support veterans. Uh, there's another story here about a Veterans Affairs training video that promotes abortion suggests that men can get pregnant. And the Department of Veterans Affairs announced in 2022 that it would provide abortion-related services. And it's an interesting video because you would think we're trying to take care of our vets, and instead it seems like they're trying to push woke ideology on our vets. Then there's uh, controversy over vets not being able to get their their benefits, and, and that's always very unfortunate, right? I mean, that should never happen. And it's it's always nice when somebody steps up and decides to to help the vets in a way that is out of the box. And Jack Maxwell, you might remember him. He used to host a TV show called um, Booze Traveler and another one called The Trip. Well, he's got a brand new show. Um, this series is called American Homecoming, and it surprises veterans with a home that's worthy of a hero. And I think it's great. Uh, it's one of those shows where, you know, they, they fix up a house while you were out type of thing, extreme home makeover type of thing, but with a unique spin on helping vets. And uh, I love this idea, and I want to talk to Jack Maxwell, and he's with us now. Jack Maxwell, welcome to the program. Hi, Rich. Thank you. It's great to be here. My pleasure. I'm glad you're on with us. So tell us uh, a little bit about what inspired the show? How did the show come about? Did they come up with a plan and say, hey, we've got this idea, we want you to be involved, or were you involved in the creation of it? How'd that play out? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question because uh, there's a gentleman who created the show, the idea for a television show anyway, because others have done this, like Gary Sinise uh, does this kind of thing. Others do, I'm sure. The great actor Joe Montaigne is really uh, wonderfully supportive of veterans. But this gentleman, Tracy Trost, had the idea to make this a, a television show so that we could help more vets. So he said when they come home in a wheelchair or otherwise disabled, injured, as you often do from the theater of war, but even if you're just domestically uh, stationed, if you, you have an affliction and you can't move around your home anymore, well, we want to do something about that. Instead of just talking or pointing fingers or the other side is wrong or this or that, we just wanted to do something. It's that simple. We could just 
bring people from all over, whether it's an army of volunteers or corporate partners, and we, we make these homes uh, livable once again. You know, we don't build a new home. We take the home that they love, that they live in, and we widen doorways and give them a remote control so they can go in and out because, as you might imagine, independence is huge when you're, sure. when you're stuck, in a sense. Um, they tear out the tubs and put in uh, rolling um, uh, you can roll into the showers. They fix the, the kitchens up. And we also bring in a designer to uh, increase the aesthetic appeal of the home. Also, it's not just for form and function, but it's also what it feels like to be in there with fresh paint and everything, because we should do that. That's the least we should do for our vets. Like you say, we have to take care of them when they come home. And too many people don't. They leave them hurting. They leave them behind. They, as you know, they struggle to get benefits. So we just decided we'd do something about it. He asked me to be a part of it, and I jumped at the chance. Now, let's talk about um, the – I want to talk about the show, but I also want to talk about your background a little bit. And I, I know you've been in TV for a while. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how uh, you, you broke into being a, a big TV host. Well, you know, it's kind of a fluke. Like a lot of things in life, it's luck and timing. And I started acting, actually. That was my thing. I was an actor, and a hosting opportunity came around, and I got that. And they said, hey, you're kind of okay at this. Maybe you should do more. But I went back into acting because that was my first love. And, you know, I've, I've done theater and television and film. But then other shows came up, like Booze Traveler that you pointed out. Booze Traveler on Travel Channel ran four years. I got to go around the world exploring all the drink cultures, what people drink, why they drink it, the stories they tell when they do. It was really wonderful. But this, when this came to me, this is a cause. You know, the other one was more entertaining. It certainly showed you the world and, and certain cultures and traditions and people, which was a wonderful gift to me. But this is my gift back. I want to help these veterans because they're suffering and a lot of them are afraid to say anything. So this was, you know, certainly in my training to be an, uh, an actor or a television host. I still do both. But when this came up, I cleared my schedule. I, I had to say yes to this. Outstanding. Honestly, I think it's a fantastic idea. Folks, we're on with Jack Maxwell. He's an actor and host of uh, the forthcoming program, American Homecoming. And uh, Jack, tell us um, what people can expect when they tune into the show what how do, what's the format like is it a kind of a surprise or are they selected to uh, to receive the makeover how does it work yes well uh what what we do is we find veterans who are in need now there are a ton of them of course so that's why we hope to do this show it's only a pilot as of right now and it can be found at americanhomecoming.tv so it's just online currently but it's a, it's a full show it's 30 something uh minutes and uh, again, that's AmericanHomecoming.tv. Uh, and what we do is we find the vets. They come to us through either referrals or friends or organizations, our partners like DAV is one of our partners, one of many. And uh, then we vet the vet, if you will. We go to the house to make sure uh, we can do what we need to do to help them. We ask them if it's okay. And then we send them away for a week. So they're not worried, they're not concerned, they're not, you know, they just go and get it off their minds because no matter what kind of house you live in, when you come back to it and it's very different, that can be, a, you know, you can, that can be a culture shock. So they go away mm -hmm. and they come back and Rich, oh, it's so fun. He had such the most, the most honest, uh, uh, I guess, 
uh, I guess, uh, reaction is what I'm trying yeah. to say. The most us reaction to it. When he came back in the house and we have GoPros in the car and you can see that he's nervous and all that. And he comes back. We roll him into the house and he says, wait, what the hell happened to my house? It was so <laughs> great. As opposed to what you might think he's going to say. Oh, thank you. This is so wonderful. This is so nice. Because it was so different. But he loved it right away. And it, there's a beautiful twist at the end uh, regarding he and his girlfriend. I won't give any more away. I encourage you to watch it because, you know, you, you, you made a good point, Mitch. It's like extreme makeover, but it's for a good cause. And not that those shows aren't for a good cause. It's not as if these people don't deserve it. But who deserves it more than our veterans who have lost their way of life, right? As I say in the show, we're trying to give them back a little more, a little of their freedom, the freedom that they lost fighting for ours, right? So why not? And and it's so wonderful to know that we're doing a little something because they deserve it. 100%. Folks are on with Jack Maxwell. He's the host of the new show, American Homecoming. You can check it out at AmericanHomecoming.tv. And again, I think the idea of a, of a veteran who comes home from from military service facing a disability living in a house that's really not suited for their needs is uh, is an important issue and one that, you know, the, the more people that address this issue, the better. But the the fact that you're sending them on a, on a surprise vacation while your carpenters and designers go inside and renovate the house to help it be more, um, um, what's the word, accessible for, for those that are in mobility devices and whatnot. And then when this family comes back, there's a heartwarming surprise. I think it's great that you transform the house to really serve the hero, um, as you guys have put it. And I think that's, that's fantastic. Um, Jack Maxwell, again, the website is AmericanHomecoming.tv. And before we uh, part ways, Jack, uh, is there anything else you think the listeners need to know about the show? Well, you know, in this particular instance, our Navy vet, Garrett Robitaille is his name, uh, he, he, you know, the, the, I guess the stereotype is, oh, they went off to war and they came back. It's not always going off to war. If they mm-hmm. are serving our country, they're eligible. And this, this guy, our, our Navy vet, was serving right there in Oklahoma. We, we did the show in Dell City, Oklahoma, where he lives. And he, he developed a, a rare disease, a cancer, that was crushing his spine and forced him into a wheelchair. Wow. Is, is, he, is he any less worthy than anyone else, of course, no, of course not. not. So, yeah, right. So when we talked to him about it, he was excited, and we sent him away. And by the way, everything we we say we do, we really do, and we had to do it in a week. But all these people working around the clock, I was so impressed because I was just such a small part of that, Rich. I really was. Uh, I'm just a television host, right? I don't know how to do construction or design or all of that. <laughs> all of those people did the work for me. I just wanted to be a part of it. So I was the host, which is, you know, because I do this kind of thing. But to see the, the gratitude on his face at the end and, and how he felt that he wasn't forgotten, that we, not only as a nation, but as a small group of people and friends and volunteers, remembered him and honored his service. It changed everything. And it was just really uh, a wonderful experience. And I, I encourage everyone to check it out. So you can you can experience what we did and you know what hopefully what this show would be like going forward as we bring in other worthy vets and do the same for them. Jack Maxwell, any plans to um, 
put the show on different networks, um, anything in the works that you're able to share? Well, nothing right now because we're going out, as they say, to networks and streamers and cable. But it doesn't have to be traditional television. We wanted to get the word out and start the dialogue as soon as possible. That's why we put it at AmericanHomecoming.tv so we could get people involved, whether they're corporate partners or people, you know, uh, home designers or home supply stores or equipment or anything like that, because it truly does take a team to do this kind of thing. And we wanted to do it as soon as possible, not because we want a television show. It doesn't have to be that uh, because vets out there need our help and we want to be there for them. So, yes, we'd like to sell it to a network, have them partner with us or bring in a streamer or a cable or or corporate partners. We could do it with corporate partners and just leave it online. It doesn't matter as long as we help our vets. That's all that, that concerns me and the guy who created Tracy Trost and the other members of the team like CC Mazik and, and Jimmy and Dave Riley. Uh, everyone's really into doing this, and I hope we get to do it because there are a ton out there who need the help, and we want to help them. It's an outstanding project, and I think a, a, an admirable mission. Uh, Jack Maxwell, actor and host of American Homecoming. Check out the new show at AmericanHomecoming.tv. Jack Maxwell, if people want to follow you on social media, how do they find you? I'm at, uh, thank you, Rich, Southie Jack. It's S-O-U-T-H-I-E, Jack. So Southie is the neighborhood in which I grew up in Boston. And I only have to spell it out because people say, are you saying selfie, like taking a selfie? <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't think of that when I created the name. But it's Southie Jack on Twitter and Instagram. You could certainly reach out to me. I'll get back to you as soon as I can, I promise. And uh, I thank you in advance for being interested in the show. And also, if you go to AmericanHomecoming.tv, you can become a delegate, which just means you'll spread the word. You can help in, in many ways. I don't know exactly what's on the website that's run by Tracy Trost. But uh, it's all for a worthy cause, whether you just spread the word or you watch it or you click it and say you liked it or you comment, whatever it is. We, we just want people involved because this is a worthy cause. And as you know, because, you know, we, I, I, I understand that, you know, based on what you said before I got on the air, that you are, you know, you want to help vets as well as, as, like we do. Absolutely. And and uh, thank you for being such a champion of the cause and uh, I look forward to talking about it again. Maybe if the show gets picked up or we do more episodes or we have more vets to talk about. But thank you for what you do as well, not just for having me on, but you for bet. what you do, because I know you're a big advocate, Rich. Yeah, my pleasure, Jack Maxwell. I think you guys are doing uh, the Lord's work, and it's, it's important. And I hope that our, our audience can check out the website, AmericanHomecoming.tv, and sign up to be a delegate. Jack Maxwell, thank you for doing what you do, and I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me, Rich. You bet. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We'll continue our discussion on immigration and everything else that's going on during the day. We discuss it here on America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, amigos. And uh, so I was talking about this leaked Department of Veteran Affairs video that is promoting uh, abortions and what they call, quote unquote, medically accurate terminology, such as a person who is pregnant, end quote, over pregnant women. A reproductive health training video from April of 2023 advised staffers on how to counsel veterans considering abortion, uh, saying that a person who is pregnant is um, inclusive and it's preferred to pregnant women. Now, again, we, we've seen this time and time again in our government to try to make everybody feel comfortable. Uh, but a- another slide in the presentation is called The Guide. And it's the guide to language and abortion. And it offers veterans uh, potentially seeking abortions the language of using embryo or fetus. Instead, they you know omit baby or unborn child. And this is obviously problematic to, to a lot of people because it's it just doesn't seem right. Uh, there were other videos that were obtained by the post-millennial that showed what appeared to be um, defenses for abortion as a, essential and life-saving care. And again, there, I'm sure there are situations where that's the case. It's just less often than not, right? It, it just really isn't the case that often. And this has been the age-old debate when it comes to abortion, whether it's... Um, is abortion medically necessary to save a mother's life or is it just to promote her health, right? And I think that's always been a, a contentious uh, statement uh, with within the abortion debate. So um, we'll, we have some audio of it. We'll play it, uh, not now because we're about to hit a break, but we'll play it at, at the top of the next hour so that you could hear it. But it's interesting. It's interesting to see what's going on here. And the, the wokeness is now everywhere. I mean, it's not only in the military, it's outside of the military. It's in pretty, pretty much every branch of government, as well as, as um, public schools, universities. And, and the question I think that many have is, well, Rich, why are you so opposed to people just saying these things? Well, I'm opposed to the distortion of the truth is really the issue. When, when you begin to normalize what has been historically known as mental illness, Right. And again, I, I'm I don't have a problem with a lot of things. I think you want to do what you do. That's on you. Uh, I think we should never let people harm themselves is really where I'm at. And whether it's the story and I don't think I mentioned this on the air, but I saw a story the other day of a guy who's been slowly transforming himself into an alien. And he's tattooed his entire body to make himself like greenish or gray. He's had this nose job that almost removed his nose. Um, he's kind of removed his ears. He's had all sorts of surgeries. And he's saying he, he, he identifies as an alien. And I'm thinking, at some point we have to say, look, you have the liberty to do that. But are we responsible for letting him harm himself that way? His next step is to amputate three fingers or four. That's crazy. Anyway, more to come straight ahead on crime. Don't go anywhere. This 
is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back. And there's a story that I was looking at. It happened a couple of days ago. I meant to talk about it, and it just, you know, we got sidetracked with so many things, and it's sad. And honestly, truth be told, I'm a little bit of a mush when it comes to these things. I don't really like to get into sad stories. Um, sometimes I do because I have to, but this is um, one where a police chief, a retired chief of police, was riding his bike. He's on the side of the road, and these teenagers, they decide to hit him. Uh, the teens are now going to be tried as adults. Jesus Ayala and Jasmir Keys, 16 years old, 17 and 16, were arrested last month when they recorded themselves striking Andreas Probst, 64 years old, who'd been riding his bicycle in the neighborhood on the street. And that's according to the Las Vegas Review Journal. A judge ruled uh, just yesterday that the teens are going to face their charges as adults. Now, the moms of these kids, uh, who both remain unnamed, uh, took different directions when questioned about their son's disturbing actions. Uh, One says, I don't know why he did this. Ayala's mother told KLES, don't know if God can forgive this. And the um, 17-year-old was allegedly driving the Hyundai Elantra on August 14th when they came upon props. Again, they recorded this. It wasn't like it was an accident. Uh, And... Ayala can be heard in the horrific video asking Keys if he was ready before the two began laughing as Mr. Keys then says, yeah, hit his ass. The car struck the defensive uh, cyclist, tossing him over the hood of the vehicle and leaving him to die on the side of the road. Ayala was arrested the day of the deadly hit and run, but it took cops five weeks to capture Mr. Keys who was caught on surveillance camera wearing a face mask at the time. I mean, this is a horrible story. Uh, Keyes was caught because of the video he recorded, which uh, alerted police to a school resource officer who received the video from a student. Uh, My son's side of the story will be told the truth, not the inaccuracies of the media that will portray uh, him as, um, you know, as this monstrous killer, according to Keyes' mother. And uh, the two face charges of murder with a deadly weapon, battery, and attempted murder. Chief Deputy District Attorney Michael Watson said both teens um, are going to be tried as adults. And this is just one example of so many that we see every day of people being ruthless. It's one thing to go and do a smash and grab robbery when we talk about crime. It's another thing to just not give a damn about humanity. And forgive me, forgive me in advance for thinking that we've really moved the culture of humanity in our country away from valuing life, whether it's on abortion, whether it's on running over bicyclists, you name it, we've got a problem. And murder has skyrocketed, or at least gone up. And any increase in murder, in my opinion, is is a bad one. But an 11.5 increase in murders since uh, 2020, since the uh, infamous uh, Black Lives Matter protests. And I want to get to the bottom of that because to me, this overall culture of crime, culture of, of not giving a damn about people's lives is plaguing our society. It's, it's destroying the youth and their future, henceforth our future. 
And somebody who understands police work and understands crime, uh, like few others, is Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's a spokesperson for the National Police Association, and she's here with us now. Sergeant Smith, welcome back. Rich, thanks so much for having me. And, and you opened this so well because, you know, I think by now most people have seen that viral video of those two thugs running over what looks like an elderly bicyclist. I, I don't think they knew that he was a retired police officer. But here's a guy who survives a 35-year police career, retires as a chief, and gets run over just trying to keep himself fit. And yeah. uh, and it was apparent to me that neither of those kids uh, had any value for life, for property, really for liberty. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing so many young people that they just live in a fantasy world, like a video game world, and uh, people's lives don't matter. People's property doesn't matter. And uh, it's a terrible state that we're in. You know, Sergeant Smith, I really, I, and again, I, this is why I shy away from this stuff, because it really, it's very disheartening. You know, I've got brothers that served NYPD, completed their career. My brother, John, went on to be a Fed, and I think he's 62 or 63 this year, and um, or 65. And, and, and it's just, it's terrible. I mean, it really is terrible to think that this chief, you know, not that far away from my, my own brother's age. And and to think that, you know, you, you like you said, you could survive all of the ins and outs, shootouts, all the crazy things that my brothers have been through on the job. And to only to to make it out unscathed and then, you know, lamentably get mowed down by by two crazy kids. And and it's the crazy kids part. It's just as bad as as the, the dead chief. Uh, and it, it's bewildering to me. You know, my, my daughter's 17, my youngest daughter, and she's going to be 18 in four days. And, you know, and I just think I, I could not imagine. I just could not imagine, you know, someone as young as her doing something as evil as this, Sergeant. No, and you're absolutely right. And we're we're in the middle of, you know, uh, uh, again, the rise in violent crime continues. You know, the. Right now, we look, we're comparing everything to 2019, and the first half of 2023 compared to 2019, again, is on the rise for the third year in a row. And we have had, since the rise, if you will, of Black Lives Matter, and this comes from, not from me, but from the Journal of Urban Economics, 3,000 additional murders have occurred from 2014 to 2021. So what we are seeing is more murders. And, you know, this the Black Lives Matter movement was all about, you know, police uh, response and police use of force. And during that same time period, only there have only been 200 fewer instances of police use of force. So we didn't really reduce police having to use force. But we have thousands more murders, and so many of those murders are of young African-American men, the very people that the Black Lives Matter organization purported to try to help. So this is really, really frustrating uh, for a lot of us, especially for law enforcement. Cops just want to do their job. Yeah, and I can't imagine uh, seeing more murders, you know. 
I go to work every day and I hope that the ratings go up, right? <laughs> if you tell me you've been at work for a year, the ratings went down, I'd say, man, I suck. You know, and I'm sure if you're a cop and you go and you hear, wow, murder's on the rise, you're thinking, man, I've got to do more. We've got to do more work. We've got to help more people. And when I look at the number that you just cited, 3,000 additional murders compared to 200 fewer incidences where police used lethal force uh, in that same um, um, well, similar time period. Now, this, this is interesting to me because I'm wondering if there's a correlation. And I don't know if I could prove that there is one or not, but I would suspect, based on just that, that data, if the cops were using more lethal force, perhaps we'd have less murders because there'd be less murderers on the, on the streets. Is that fair to say or is that a, a jump into, into crazy town? No, you're spot on because what prevents homicide, what prevents violent crime in general is proactive policing. And what we have seen since 2014, and of course 2014 we had the death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, a young gangbanger trying to disarm a cop, but that, was, that really was the beginning of the war on cops in this country and and so what that shows is when cops are not proactive when we are not taking guns off the street when we are not making good cases against violent criminals and putting them in prison there is going to be more violent crime uh and of course more homicides and this this research you know this research was very well done they looked at a thousand cities and towns that had at least one significant Black Lives Matter protest, again, from 2014 to 2021. And what they found out was that, po- that after every high-profile uh, you know, shooting or incident where cops are criticized, um, where we see it you know, every night on the news, proactive policing goes down and cops leave the job. And we now also have a crisis of recruitment and retention in law enforcement. You know, we're, we have 40% less people even applying to become police officers, much less making it through all the testing and the academy and all of that. And it's, it's you know, nine out of, 10, nine out of every 10 police departments, Rich, are short-handed in this New York, uh, NYPD is going to be below 9,000 officers uh, pretty soon. We've got, uh, you know, each of the main urban police departments, the top 30, all are missing hundreds of police officers. And when they would usually have 100, 200, 300 uh, recruits to start the academy, they have 20, 30, 40. And a lot of those recruits are not necessarily the best and the brightest for the profession, which is what we want for our communities. We're on with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She's the spokesperson for the National Police Association. And we're going to continue on this topic of crime. And if you have a call and you have a question or concern, feel free to call 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with our guest, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She is the national spokesperson uh, for the National Police Association, and we're discussing the challenges that uh, police are facing with crime and, uh, in addition, with recruitment. And uh, we have a call from Ohio, Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Let's check in with Paul. Paul, you're on with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith and me, Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Uh, Good evening, Rich and Sergeant Smith. Um, uh, Sergeant Smith, um, this is exactly why I endorse support and like Larry Elder, because of what he says about, um, you know, having to have the uh, the uh, father in the home, you know, especially now I, I'm not wanna, I don't want to single anybody out. But like a lot of these black families now and, you know, regards to talking about what just happened, I seen that 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 made my stomach turn when I seen those um you know, kids hit that that cop like that and kill him. Um, I'd like to know what your thoughts are on what what. It, don't you think that's what's missing in America a lot? Is like you know these families that are broken and these kids not having a father that is strong like my dad was, and I've heard Rich talk and his dad was. I don't know about your father, but they need someone to show them you know that this kind of thing's wrong. And I think that's a lot of what's wrong with society. And I'd like your opinion on that because I do support Larry Elder, and I'd like to see him as a VP to Donald Trump. Well, I love Larry Elder. I got to tell you, Larry Elder is uh, somebody I've admired for a long time. And you're absolutely right. He talks about he talks. I love his stories about his own father and, and when he grew up. And I grew up with a very strong father, you know, Army veteran and uh, a farmer and a, and a reserve cop. And, yeah, if I did anything wrong, I knew, you know, I wasn't worried about the police. I was worried about what my parents would do to me. And you're absolutely right. We see, and I saw, I was a cop for 29 years. I would go to household after household after household where there was no father in the house, no male role model, very often uh, multiple children being raised by a very beleaguered grandmother who, or a mother who was just trying to work and, and, and put food on the table and things like that. What we have now, unfortunately, and I'm going to sound like my own father, is that we don't have family, we don't have religion, and we don't have any discipline in the home. And let's go back to, you know, we can go back to when I was a kid. We had respect for the police. We had respect for pastors. We had respect for teachers. We had a lot of adult role models in our lives. So even if you were in a single-parent household, there, you had adults in your life that you could admire and look up to and who told you how to behave, how to treat people in society. We don't seem to have that anymore. And that's why we see viral video after viral video of the incredible, not just disrespect, but disregard for others, for their life, their safety, their property, and their very ability to exist. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. That's a great point. And Sergeant Smith, I think you're 100% right. This is part of what I believe is ruining the fabric. Uh, I think you nailed it. Uh, there's a lack of faith. There's a lack of community. And and I think it, it really fault lies on both sides. You mentioned you were a cop for, for 29 years. I'm sure you had a lot of interaction with the community. And when I was a kid, um, we, we knew a lot of the cops. They knew us, and that was normal. And that's not really normal today, in, in, at least where I live. 
And, and I think that there's uh, there's work to be done there. But it, it's very difficult to do that work when the police are demonized. I want to get into that recruitment stuff and wrap up with you in a moment. Folks, we're on with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, we're on with Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith. She is the uh, spokesperson for the National uh, Police uh, Association. I hope I got that right. <laughs> and Sergeant Smith, you did. <laughs> uh, in the limited time that we have, I was going to say foundation. Um, I, I want to address a couple of things. Mainly, let's, let's, I guess, keep it to community policing, because I think, like I said, it's, it's an important thing that I don't think is happening enough. And I, I live in a, a very safe, very nice suburb right outside of New York City on the Jersey side of the Hudson. Uh, and, you know, I, I feel like, you know, when I see the cops, they don't say hello. They don't want to talk to me. And it could be a particular thing with this department. But uh, I, I feel like th- they could be a little bit more involved so that the kids that are in town that are might be troubled or whatever the case is or anybody, you know, that it's not just uh, an adversarial relationship. And I know it was it was never like that in the past, but that's where we are today. And the flip side of that is you've got the, the in NYPD, these the community um, um, relations team that wears the blue polo shirts and they're out there trying to connect with the community and they're getting bottles thrown at them and rocks thrown at them. And it's like, man, this is a tough situation, Sarge. Well, and you're absolutely right. You know, the last three years, we've had the vilification of the American law enforcement officers and cops are feeling pretty, pretty beat up, pretty beleaguered. And again, with 78 percent of our law enforcement agencies having difficult difficulty in recruiting quality candidates, the cops are tired. They're working so much overtime and, uh, you know, officer ambushes are at 150 percent. So you're absolutely right. We need to do better. But we also need our communities need to uplift their law enforcement officers. That's why the National Police Association exists. That's that's 100 percent right. I I agree with that. And I think it it, it, it all starts with with being respectful on both sides. And once you know you have a situation based on respect, I think things lead to a, a better outcome. Uh, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, let everybody know how they can follow the work that you're doing with uh, the National Police Association. I ask everybody to go to nationalpolice.org, nationalpolice.org, and see all the amazing things we're doing, including our mobile billboard that's traveling across the country right now, asking you to defend, not defund the police. Outstanding. Sarge, we've got to have you back for more time. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for staying up late with us. I appreciate it. You are a gentlewoman, a scholar, and a patriot. Thank you. Thanks, Rich. You bet. All right, folks, straight ahead. It's Open Phone America, where you get to weigh in on all the issues that matter to you. Don't go anywhere.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Thursday evening. Our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This uh, third and final hour of the program is dedicated to you, the listeners, to be able to call in and voice your opinions, to be heard on whatever it is you want to talk about. So far tonight, what we've had on the table is uh, several conversations. We spoke with uh, uh, Congressman from Montana, Congressman, I'm forgetting his name, geez, Matt Rosendale. He was fantastic, by the way. And Matt Rosendale from the 2nd District of Montana. He was um, excellent at describing why he was a holdout on the, the, um, what was it called, the defense spending bill. And gave us a little bit of a preview as to what was going on and what he expects to continue with the potential shutdown. And I th- he says that they're making progress. So I'm, I'm hopeful that'll happen. Um, I mean, if we can avoid a shutdown, sure. Why not? Uh, but if we have one, Hey, sure. Why not? Right. <laughs> I, I could, I could care less honestly about a shutdown. I think sometimes um, when you see Democrats squirming and, and the American people open their eyes and they go, Oh my gosh, it's another shutdown. That's when people start paying attention to what's going on. And that's when guys like Matt Rosendale and others uh, that are standing up to everybody in their in their own caucus and in the entire Congress saying, look, we're, we're not going to do this. We're not going to pass a continuing resolution for the sake of passing a continuing resolution uh, unless we actually work on spending. And I think that's where we have to be. Right. Uh, I mean. I'm all for governing and I'm all for compromise. Honestly, I am. Um, but you have to stay true to your values. You have to to do what's reasonable and responsible by the American people who elected you. This isn't really this fantastic job that you get just because you're cool and you have a nice head of hair. That's probably why I'm not a congressman. But you have to do the right thing. So I, I think they're doing the right thing by by casting light on this, shedding attention on it, and fighting for what is right, which is uh, to decrease pork barrel spending, these earmarks that we have for whatever, everything under the sun, and to maintain the spending that we can, that we, um, we encountered during COVID, and to continue at that same level of spending beyond COVID is absolutely insane to me. So that was uh, one of the things we talked about. Then we went on to a conversation about veterans. And um, I had mentioned there was an audio clip of this um, recruitment video from the Department of Veterans Affairs that's been leaked. I don't even think it's out yet, Uh, but it was leaked to to the Post Millennial and to Fox News, and they have it. And we got a couple of clips from it. I want you to listen to some of the language that they use just to show you how woke the military and veteran affairs has become. Listen to this. Person who is pregnant is more inclusive language. However, many of the studies that exist to date have not so far included trans men or non-gender binary people identified as such. 
Okay. Again, not an attack on the trans community in any way. And if they want to do that, they can. Uh, I just feel that, again, we have to, to deal with, with things as they are. If somebody were to tell me, look, half the population is men, half is women, or 60% are men, 40 are women, or 40% are men, 60% are women, then you say, ladies and gentlemen, right? If you tell me that, you know, one or two or 5% um, is, identifies as a certain way, do we really sit there and, and, and create new materials to, to just include absolutely every person? And the reason I say that is because, again, I told you I was scrolling on Instagram and I saw this story about a guy who identifies as an alien. And he'd tattooed his complete body and had this nose job to make his nose really pointy and his nostrils really big. And he basically is making himself look like an alien. And they showed the before and after of this picture, uh, pictures of him, I should say. And the guy was a, a good-looking guy. That It wasn't like he was ugly and said, hey, let me become – the guy looked like he could have been a model or something. He was a fit guy in shape, and he, he got into this I want to be an alien thing. Now, listen, uh, this is – there's no right or wrong here, right? I'm not saying you can't tattoo your whole body and, and start to have surgeries and change it because people have surgery and change their bodies all the time. He's just doing it for the sake of looking like an alien. And if somebody were to tell me it's a gimmick, he just says that because he gets to do appearances and he's like a, a sideshow, a freak show, uh, and he makes money. Listen, I grew up going to the Coney Island Sideshow, right? This was, if you've never been, the Coney Island Sideshow was filled with uh, circus carny freaks, if you will. And I think that's what they call themselves, not what I'm calling them. And there was, um, you know, the tattooed woman, the, you know, the small person. It was always like a... Uh, somebody with dwarfism there that was, you know, uh, in one way or another interesting to look at and, and they were on display. There was uh, the, the serpent man or the snake man that was, you know, tattooed and had their tongue split. There were magicians. There was a guy that could drive a, uh, a I don't know, like a three or four inch bolt right into his nose with a hammer. I mean, it was just amazing the stuff they did. And it was an interesting show, to say the least. So if you're an entertainer and that's your your shtick, go right ahead. I'm I'm not against that. But I am against, you know, if tomorrow I come on the air and I say, look, I identify as a dog. And there was an article yesterday, I didn't get to it, but about people that identified as dogs. And they were having this meetup. I think it's incumbent upon us as humanity, as the community, as people, to say, my friend, you're not really a dog. If you want to role play as a dog, if you want to, you know, be a dog sometimes on the weekends, sure. Um, but I don't know that you should identify as a dog all the time. And if they start undergoing surgery so they can have hair and add teeth and, you know, like some of the people that think they're vampires. I just think that, again, not the government. We as a people need to reach out to the people next to us and just say, hey, is everything all right? Can I help you? Because when we don't do that, things happen. Now, when the government and the medical community get involved and say, no, no. This is um, species dysmorphia. This person identifies as an alien. This person identifies as a dog. Therefore, in all new government documents, we're going to say, you know, people that identify as um, other than human, you know, so that we could um, include these people. And it's about inclusivity. I think that is weird. I think that is not fair to the vast majority of people that are, in my opinion, well. I don't think you're mentally well. If you identify as a dog or an alien, I just, I just don't think so. And I'm, and I'm basing this off of the opinions of, of medical professionals who, who created the diagnosis for gender dysphoria, right? That they're the ones that said that this is a mental illness. I'm not the one saying it. So I, I look at all of that 
And I just think, man, we're not doing a, a service to people. But this recruitment video goes on to talk about, you know, how you identify things. Do we call it a baby? Do we call it a fetus? Only call it a baby or a fetus if you're allowed to call it so once speaking with a service member. Listen to this. Not using the word baby unless the veteran prefers the word baby. In the case of decisions about eligibility for VA-provided abortions, multidisciplinary decisions among clinical teams can really boost people's confidence when these decisions are consensual. Dr. Martin had validated and normalized her feelings and was interested in hearing more. I don't know. All I can say is, look, um, you know, I don't believe that we're doing anybody a service. I think this is a disservice when we start to distort the truth to accommodate a minority that at least arguably in the medical community, they're saying need help. I think when people need help, we should help them. And I don't think this is it. Anyway, we're going to get to your calls and more straight ahead. Here's the number 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Getting to your calls momentarily, as I see calls are uh, some are on hold, some are coming in. Uh, quick story here: Boston University announces a probe into woke author Ibram X. Kendi's anti-racism center over claims he was a bad boss. Sounds like Lizzo; she keeps getting sued by her people. Uh, the inquiry comes after almost half of the ailing center staff were laid off. The center's culture and grant management practices are being scrutinized. Celebrity author Dr. Kendi made his name with a book, How to Be Anti-Racist. Uh, Boston University's announced an inquiry into Dr. Ibram X. Kendi's Center for Anti-Racist Research amid claims of exploitative working conditions and bad management. Complaints were received after the author laid off 20 of the organization's staff when they only have 45 staff members last week. Kendi, who won awards for his ultra-woke bestseller, How to Be an Anti-Racist, is now under formal investigation by Boston University over his research center's culture and grant management practices. And uh, some of the people that uh, commented on this, Rachel LaPaul Cavallario, she's associate vice president, she said, we received complaints after the Center for Anti-Racist Research laid off a number of employees those complaints focused on the center's culture and its grant management practices. We previously initiated an examination of those grant practices and will continue 
Uh, based on additional information provided to us, we are expanding our inquiry to include the center's management culture and the faculty and staff's experience with it. Now, I've taken exception to Dr. Kendi's work um, uh, over the years because I, I feel that the premise is, uh, is a flawed one. And people push back and they often say, how could you be against people promoting the idea of being an anti-racist? And I would say I'm, I'm not necessarily pushing back on being an anti-racist. I don't think I'm a racist. I think I am an anti-racist. I, I don't support racism. I just don't support what he says is anti-racism, what he labels as anti-racism and the convenient false equivalency that's often used to promote it is, well, look, you can either be an anti-racist or you can be a, and you fill in the blank. And of course, they're suggesting that you are a racist, but this, this is a flawed construct because obviously they're saying the default is racism. So you're either a racist or you choose to be an anti-racist. And of course, I think that's crazy. I think most people are not racist. And and that's just point blank, right? And now, I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist, which is what I think people will immediately say. Oh, so you're saying that not? No, I'm saying I've been the victim of racism. Uh, I don't sit here and cry about being victimized by it. I understand there's stupid people. There's jealous people. There's all sorts of people. And uh, I get it. I understand. But this idea is not good. And when you when you have this um, I don't know what word I'm going to use here. Let's see this fake phony fraud idea of anti-racism and you promote it, which in, in effect, in my opinion, is really anti-white racism, right? That That's what this stuff ultimately teaches. Now, there are certain things I, and what I've read of his that kind of uh, lend themselves well to to our lives where we can say things like, um, you know, we, we should not have systemic racism. Yeah, I agree that we should not have systemic racism. And I'll go a step further and say, I haven't really seen any examples of systemic racism. And I've debated this with callers over the years where they'll say, are you kidding me? You're going to say that the police, the fact that we have police is not a systemically racist uh, organization or system. And I would say, I don't think it is. You know, but again, I, my, my view is flawed. Uh, you know, I grew up in New York. And in New York, if you're going to tell me that the NYPD is racist, I would say that's crazy. I mean, again, maybe it's simplistic to say, but you have a Hispanic police commissioner now. Prior to that, you had an African-American woman as the police commissioner. And I think she did a good job. She was heading in the right direction and she quit because her hands were tied by the mayor, who, for those who can't see, is a black man. So the idea that it's systemically racist and the system is run by a black mayor and a black police commissioner or now a Hispanic police commissioner, I would say is absolutely insane. Uh, I, I see the videos that come out of N, uh, NYPD where they're tackling the um, people that are illegally riding mopeds. And again, this is the the vehicle of choice, um, at least I know in the Dominican Republic, right? I was in the Dominican Republic once and somebody on one of those little mopeds tried to snatch a woman's purse right across the street from where I was staying. And a passerby was carrying a firearm and he caught this person trying to steal this woman's purse and he shot him dead. Um, and, you know, when the police were arriving, that's when I kind of, I was like, oh, what's going on? Let me be nosy. And I looked out there and there was the guy, you know, in a pool of blood laying next to his, his um, moped. And this has been going on for a long time. 
And it's not exclusive to the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. They use motorcycles. Um, you know, cr- crime of that nature has been around for a long time. But now it's on the rise in New York City. They're everywhere. Nobody has a license plate. Everybody's riding whatever they want. And the police have been impounding them. And good for them. And they've been trying to get people off the road. And they're very aggressive. They've been very aggressive. I've seen lots of videos. You see these cops just trying to box people in with three or four police cars. And then five or six cops are jumping out of the car, tackling these guys to get them off because these, these mopeds are so small. They can go through just about anything and kind of weave out of traffic and get away. And many of them are getting away, but many of them are getting caught. So, again, back to this idea of systemic racism and this uh, Ibram X. Kendi. And this is somebody I tried to get him on the show a while back when the book was new and uh, unsuccessful because I'd love to have a discussion with him because I'm pretty sure somewhere we could reach common ground. But I don't know that I can buy this idea that, you know, the oppression of the white man – and the, the systems that we've created 100 years ago, 200 years ago, uh, are still the source of oppression today. Now, I will say, uh, I don't believe that racism is entirely systemic, but I will say I believe that public housing in and of itself is a systemically racist construct. I do believe that. I believe that certain failing school systems are systemically racist. And I would say the people at the top are usually of the same race of the people that are being oppressed. So can we argue racism or can we just argue that they're systemically corrupt? And I think that's really the case in actuality, right? I, I don't know that the FDR policies of that changed welfare, the welfare reform, if you will, that pretty much eliminated fathers from the home was exclusively aimed at African-Americans, but I can tell you that's where it, it landed blacks and Hispanics. And to me, this is terrible, right? You literally, it was a death sentence to the, to the black family. It was a death sentence to the Hispanic family to, to do that. And more so with the black family, with the, the numbers there are overwhelming. Leading the pack with fatherless homes, leading the pack with public housing consumption, at least in my area of the world. And I think if, if you're given all of this support to try to help you to get out of public housing, how is it that our people are in public housing generation after generation? How is it that they're not pursuing the American dream? I'm not faulting them. I'm faulting the government that's keeping them there in a prison of sorts, a prison of poverty. That's got to stop. So, yeah, I would say that's uh, systemically corrupt and that needs to end. Anyway, we'll continue our discussion straight ahead with your calls and more. I just went on a little rant here, but we'll be right back. We'll be right back. <laughs> call screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're going to go to your calls right now. Let's go to Jim in Las Cruces, New Mexico, K-O-B-E. Jim, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Rick, Elvis has left the building. 
No. Well, it's rich, Elvis, number one. And number two, where did Elvis go? Well, when I say Elvis, I don't mean Elvis Presley. I mean Elvis Chan. And he left not the building, but the country. And where are you getting that information from, Jim? Well, the Daily Caller is covering it. Uh, NY Post, I read something about it there. It's also all over YouTube. Now, if you're wanting to know who Elvis Chan is, he's an FBI I know who he is. I think he's scheduled to uh, appear in front of Jim Jordan's committee tomorrow. I thought it was the 5th that they they rescheduled. October 5th, but uh, nevertheless, uh, he was the FBI um, uh, agent extraordinaire out of uh, San Francisco. When I say extraordinaire, I I mean that uh, maybe with Democrats. He's extraordinary, not with the Republicans. Anyway, he um, he, sometime back, I believe last year, he got caught in front of the House Judiciary Committee telling a bit of a fib about his uh, knowledge of Hunter Biden's laptop. And so they, you know, Jim Jordan and the House Judiciary Committee want him to make a repeat performance. And I thought it was October 5th, but maybe you have better information than I do. Uh, anyway, when he he failed to come to the 15th of, uh, of September, uh, he because of uh, a squabble with Mary Garland, uh, he uh, wasn't able to attend, which, uh, and now it appears that he's left the country. I would like to know. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I I still haven't seen anything on this. As far as I know, he's supposed to testify tomorrow and on the 5th. And um, I, I don't know anything about it. Maybe what I'm looking at is incorrect, but I know he's testified before and it seems like, they're just stonewalling because, you know, he came out as, um, you know, giving testimony originally. And now they have more questions on his testimony with uh, respect to the big tech censorship and whatnot. Um, and I think this is pretty typical of the Department of Justice trying to cover up for their for their dirty operatives. Yes. OK. You know, that's true. So anyway, I assure you he has left the country. So I don't can't tell you what country he's left left to. Uh, that I cannot find out. I was hoping many, maybe some of your listeners would know. So that's all I have to talk about. Gotcha. Well, thank you for that call. I appreciate it. And again, as far as I know, the uh, this agent is on what they're calling official travel. Uh, it's not like he's fled the country to, you know, to flee <laughs> the subpoena. I'm sure it's in conjunction with leaving and not testifying and giving them more time and stonewalling. But it's not like he said, I'm out of here, folks. Good luck finding me. Grabbed his bag full of cash at his fake passport. I don't think that was the case. But you never know. We're dealing with the FBI. And that's kind of how the FBI works, sadly. Anyway, let's go to uh, Jim in Harvard, Illinois, listening on WGN. Jim, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Always wanted to be on your show. Thanks. Um, Just a comment about um, Fetterman. You know, what is that dress wear? I mean, if if you're representing the people, you know, and you're part of this, you know, representation of the U.S. and you go to work like that, I mean, who who agrees with that? And if he can't do the job, if he doesn't feel comfortable, then I guess that job is not for him. 
You know, this is a good point you're bringing up. And I'm going to say that uh, who agrees with him? Chuck Schumer clearly agrees with him. They changed the whole rules so that he could wear whatever he wants to wear. Now, listen, I'm going to I'm going to ask you a couple of questions because I agree with you. I think, look, you you should dress professionally wherever you go. And I think we've seen this historically, right? Even church, right? Sunday best used to be putting on your best suit and or your dress or whatever it was that you were putting on and and you'd go to church and look your best. And and it, that standard has dissipated. You look at pictures in the 1920s, 30s, 40s and men were all wearing suits and fedora hats and they looked like a million bucks. You know, in 1920s the zoot suit, you know, it was very fancy. And Today, the only people I see wearing a zoot suit is our buddy Roger Stone. He's always dressed to the nines. The guy's very sharp. But it's a tradition that has dissipated in culture today. And, and I understand things are more casual. Uh, you know, I used to never go on TV without wearing a tie. And in the last year and a half, year, two years, I've decided, you know what? I'm a radio guy. I, I don't need to wear a tie. And I haven't worn a tie. <laughs> I'm a rebel with no cause. But I, I understand one's desire to feel a little more relaxed. I do see a casualization in dress throughout society. Streetwear is, is a big thing in fashion now. You know, jeans, sneakers, all of that. And, and I, I love a good pair of jeans and sneakers as well. But I, I do believe in throwing on a blazer, a sport coat, or a suit with no tie. And sometimes a tie if you need it. You know, um, when I was invited a couple of weeks back, or maybe two months ago, or six weeks ago, to... Um, to meet with President Trump at his uh, club in Bedminster, New Jersey, um, it didn't occur to me in, in, at any moment that I should go wearing a pair of shorts, that I should wear my favorite golf shirt, that I should wear golf attire. I put on a suit, and and I think that's only appropriate. You're meeting a you know a former head of state and a pres- former president of the United States. I, I think that's the, he was wearing a suit, so I think that's appropriate. And I think if you're going on a job interview, you want to look your absolute best. Uh, for years. When I worked in in sales and whatnot, I wore a suit, and it was um, it was commonplace. And when I would see somebody that would try to pull off the sweater vest with the tie and the shirt under it, but not the full suit, I felt like they were underdressed. But again, I, I realize I'm a little bit of an old man when it comes to those things. But I also am happy to throw on a t-shirt and jeans and a and a fitted baseball cap and and do what I got to do. So I understand one's desire to be relaxed, but I feel like if you're presiding over, if you're the you know, acting pres pro tem in the Senate. And as I think he was today and chairing a committee hearing or something like that. And I saw a picture of him with a, you know, with a summertime shirt on, he had shorts on. I think it's a slap in the face. And I think that's why there was a dress code. There are clubs, golf clubs, private membership clubs, all sorts of places, restaurants where you can't get in if you're not wearing a blazer because there's a dress code. And the United States Senate used to be one of those places. Lamentably, They've relaxed those standards. And I think the, 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 the reason that I like getting dressed up is everybody performs better when they're in a suit, in my opinion. You know, you're, you, you feel good and you perform your best. Now, I've worked in radio for a number of years now, and I can tell you that in radio, when I started, people were always like, why are you so dressed up? And I wasn't wearing a suit to work. Maybe I would wear the suit without the tie, throw the jacket on the back of my chair. But having a button down and, and slacks on, was still rather overdressed in in radio. There was a few other people that dressed up a lot. Uh, my buddy Sid Rosenberg, who did the morning show when I was at WABC, he was always wearing you know he cool pair of jeans, a nice pair of shoes, and a usually a really nice blazer with a great pocket square hanky. And I kind of dressed like that myself, so I, I understood that. And again, 
most of the time in radio, people can't see you. So, you know, I understood why people were so relaxed in their dress. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I don't like participating and getting dressed up. I do. So I, I guess I say all of that to say I, I think it was a mistake what they did in the Senate because I think ultimately it's it's a professional position. You're, you're a United States senator. You're a United States congressman. You, you need to look the part, in my opinion. Um, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I can be persuaded. It's not something I'm necessarily married to. It's really just a, a matter of my my upbringing and culture. And I just think that's what I'm used to. Uh, so I'm in agreement with you, Jim, that the, the what Fetterman is doing is embarrassing, I think, to America. I think when the pictures go around the world and they say, oh, look at this congressman, maybe it will help to attract young people. Maybe it will uh, help to attract people that say, oh, I can't stand these stuff suit politicians. But ultimately, I feel like it, it he should dress it up. You could still be relaxed in one way or another without wearing a three-piece suit to work and still meet the dress code. Uh, and I think that's what they ought to do. And now, if we're going to find out soon, if he's going to say, well, this was an accommodation made by his doctor because he had to pull out because he had a, a stroke and then he had depression and he took time off and uh, part of his therapy is to wear this more relaxed dress, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy it. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was going to be the next thing they said, Jim. Um, real quick, Rich, may I say one more thing? Yeah, go right ahead. Um, Zelensky, you know, here he comes into the U.N. and he's asking for, what, $29 billion? And here he's wearing a polo shirt. You know, wouldn't you wear a tie at least if you're asking for that kind of money? <laughs> right. And, you know, that's dressed up for him. He's normally wearing that... Uh, that that dark green sweatshirt or that brown sweatshirt with the little Ukraine logo embroidered on it. And I got to tell you, he's another one. Uh, he's they, I think all of these guys figured out. And again, uh, this was real. When Governor Chris Christie was handling the the Hurricane Sandy response, he was out there. Uh, no, no question. There was no break. He was living out of an SUV going from one beach to the next because it was the southern part of New Jersey that was really hit the hardest. And every press conference, he had the same uh, fleece vest on that said Governor Christie on it. And he became famous and they made fun of him and whatever. But that was real. That was really him in the trenches. And I think Zelensky, if he wants to wear his fatigues and, and this sweatshirt, great if you're in the trenches. But if you're coming to the White House, if you're coming to the U.N., you're meeting with Biden, you're meeting with the secretary of state, you're meeting with whomever, I think as secretary of defense, you, you have to dress the part. It's just appropriate. Like you said, how are you going to ask for all these billions of dollars? And especially what he said today, he comes to the United States today and he says, look, you're, you're talking about money. I'm talking about lives. This is, you know, you can't put a price on lives. Sir, you're spending my money, spending your money, Jim. How, how do you how do you just uh, put your hand into my pocket and say, well, because my people are dying, I'm going to take your money. That's absolute crazy town, Jim. It is crazy town. Thank you. Oh, you bet. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Thank you. 
America? This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, just uh, to uh, caller Jim's uh, point, uh, yeah, I was confusing the 21st with the 22nd because we're literally, I'm on the East Coast and the clock just changed a little while ago. So, yes, it was not tomorrow. It was today the scheduled date for Elvis Chan, and the next date is uh, October 5th. So I'm saying tomorrow, meaning today, yesterday, <laughs> because it's it's technically Friday where I am. Anyway, I want to continue the conversation with callers from across America. Let's go to California. Tahoe, California, K-O-W-L. Let's check in with Tammy. Tammy, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. I am too. Um, I just go way old school back um, on the on the border of California and Nevada from the early 1970s. And the, the down dress code of politicians that are making um, laws... Uh, working as senators, you know, House of Representatives, Senate um, governors, mm-hmm. lieutenant governors. I can't go for the idea that you just dress down because it's, you know, dress down. Like, it's no. Right. You they just they don't are do making that. policies. They're making policies. They're, they're dealing with millions and trillions of dollars. You don't, the, the military doesn't just dress down. Uh, you know, because it's Thursday and they're going to dress down and they don't they want to wear a hoodie and some flip flops. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm just right. I'm just saying I don't vote for that. And, um, and you know, Tammy, you know, I'm with you. Just, I, I agree. You. I just want to say, you know, if let's say I'm a radio host, which I happen to be. And I typically dress whatever, however I want. It's radio. Nobody can see me. So I, I do what I want. But if I go on television where people can see me, I try to dress it up a little bit. But if I had a really big, cool TV show, maybe that would be part of my shtick to, like, wear sneakers all the time or something like that because it might be a thing. But, again, I'm a TV person or I'm a radio person. I'm not a senator. And I think you're 100% right with this. That There's an expectation to the public that we're dealing with serious people. And, yeah, you can communicate that you're a serious person in in so much as the way you dress um, and the way that you behave. And I know there's people that are saying, look, just because I'm wearing uh, flip-flop and hoodies doesn't mean I'm not serious. But I think it definitely sends that message. You know, every day can't be casual Friday, Tammy. Exactly. Thank you very much. And since you're in New York coast and it already is Friday, and (laughs) we still have like another uh, little couple of times till it's, you know, casual Friday, I just, I appreciate that you are very clear on like, Come on, you guys, we're adults. Yeah, I agree with that. Global, like we mm-hmm. have to be grown up. I agree. If if we're if, if we're not grown ups, then then where are we, right, Tammy? Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. I'm going to take a quick pause right here. Shout out to Tahoe, California, K O W L. Thanks again, Tammy. We're going to continue with the program straight ahead. We're going to wrap it up, and I just want to tease something real quick. What? is the magic age where people's happiness peaks. We're going to find out right now. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 
833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. So there's a study coming out of uh, Bochum, Germany. Take two, security. Bochum, Germany. And the um, headline here, some people are miserable after age nine, but after childhood, happiness doesn't peak again until age 70. Listen to this. Is childhood really the happiest period of a person's life? A new study finds that you might have to wait while trying to find the bright side of life. A team of international researchers has found that a child's life satisfaction actually decreases between the ages of 9 and 16. Of course, you're starting to become an adult before rising up and peaking again at the age of 70. That means between 16 and 70, you're miserable. That sucks. (laughs) During the project, uh, the study authors examined the subjective well-being over the entire lifespans of 460,000 participants. They studied 443 samples that described how people felt about themselves during childhood, young adulthood, and eventually old age. Here's a quote. We focused on changes in three central components of subjective well-being. That's Professor Suzanne Bucher. She initially worked on the study at uh, Ruhr University in Bochum, Germany. I can't say it. Germany. And uh, saying that life satisfaction, positive emotional states, and negative emotional states uh, are what came into play. So happiness uh, obviously varies from person to person. And while everybody's journey from happiness is obviously a very personal experience, the researchers did a, a final number of trends throughout one's life. Overall, children saw their life satisfaction drop off during adolescence, declining from age nine to age 16, and then life satisfaction then increased slightly until age 70 when it dropped off again at the age of 96. Imagine that. (laughs) Life really sucks when you're 96. I bet it does. Unbelievable. Anyway, that's all I've got for today. Thank you for putting up with me for another night. I appreciate it. God bless you, America. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night and God bless. We'll be here again next time, which is tomorrow. Until then, keep it locked right here on this station. There's more programming coming up after me and we'll be back again mañana. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.